Welcome back to Vet Together. In this episode, I give you my veterinary top tips on how to choose a puppy, and we address the horrific increases in pet theft through coronavirus lockdown and the steps you can take to protect your pet against it. Plus, I'm answering loads of your pet questions, so let's get our claws stuck into it. This podcast is sponsored by Zilkeen, a calming supplement made with a natural ingredient for cats and dogs. Zilkeen can help your pet cope during stressful situations such as separation, loud noises and changes to their routine. Speak to your vet today for more information. Oh boy. Well, would you look at that? He is literally, he's always done this, as Oliver. He, you put his food in his bowl and he has to get it all out. It goes all over the kitchen floor and then he likes to go around and eat it off the floor. I don't know why we bother with a bowl, to be honest. He just, he's, he definitely gets the award for the world's messiest eater. Anyway, that's Oliver. First up, I'm going to talk to you because it's been a little bit of a while since we last spoke and there has been quite a lot going on. But first things first, I have to address something that is really sad um, and that happened at the beginning of last month. And that was the very sad news that our beloved little lamb, our Lambrador Sprout, very sadly has passed away. And we're not, I'm not really sure 100% as to what exactly happened. I mean, she was going back downhill again, to be honest, but um, each time she had bounced back. And, and I think it just came as a real shock that she actually passed away and it, and it did sort of knock me sideways a little bit if I'm honest after putting so much time and effort in um to trying to rehabilitate her but the response on social media has just been incredible we've had some really heartfelt lovely messages from people from parents of children who have been watching her through through sort of lockdown and uh, and so I just want to say thank you like honestly if I tried to record this well what three and a half, four weeks ago, I, I I probably couldn't even string a sentence together. It was like, it's been, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, I know obviously she's a lamb and there's people out there thinking, well, I mean, this is a lamb. What are you, what are you going on about? But uh, just the process of grieving and bereavement is, is something very individual and unique. And I think what we, what I'm going to do is line up a guest. Basically, we're going to talk about bereavement in a future episode and we're, and we're going to address it. We're going to talk about what techniques we could use to, to try and help with the grieving process. And, and also just, I feel I get quite a lot of questions from, from you all out there about, about euthanasia and, and when it is the right time to maybe sort of put our pets to sleep and then beyond that then how to cope with the the loss of a pet so it's a it's something we all as pet lovers have to face unfortunately um and it's something that i think we can we can learn a lot from each other on it so that will be coming up but let's move on to something a little lighter and something very exciting and that is how many of you out there are actually thinking of getting a dog now this is something very exciting i just live for my dog as as you all know um and and i would never ever ever say to somebody that you know to not get a dog as such but it it is a massive decision and one that more recently has become an absolute minefield because with coronavirus and the lockdown the surge of interest in people wanting to get a puppy has just skyrocketed so i've got some statistics here so internet searches for buying a puppy have increased by 120 percent in the first month of coronavirus that's from the dogs trust and searches for adopt a puppy okay that's even bigger that's up that's up 133 percent from propellinet so there's obviously this huge demand for for dogs that has sort of blossomed through coronavirus 
But with that, there's also come some huge price hikes. I'm not even going to say increases. I'm going to say hikes because, I mean, uh, uh, you know, some of the, the in inverted commas, designer dogs or the pedigree dogs that we that we know already fetch good money. So things like a French Bulldog, you might have to easily expect to pay at least maybe 1700 to even up to sort of £3,000 for a puppy. But in coronavirus, they've been listed at nearly £10,000. And what's incredible is that they are actually selling at that price. So this huge demand for dogs that's just sort of literally come out from nowhere has meant that the the sort of the industry, if you like, I know it's an awful way to describe it, but the the sort of the selling of dogs has just completely, the rule book's completely gone out out of the window. But sadly, with that, Pet theft has also risen and it's risen 65% through lockdown. So that's people either having dogs stolen from the gardens or possibly out on walks and, and even awful things like people coming up to them and, and asking to pet the dogs and then, and then snatching them and running away. Awful, awful, awful. So we're going to talk a little bit today about how to choose a dog if you're thinking about getting a puppy. Some of the pitfalls, some of the things that you really want to, to look out for, some of the things to definitely avoid. And then maybe if you have a dog, we'll also just talk through some tips about how to keep them safe. All right. So you're thinking of getting a puppy. Now, the first thing we're going to talk about is just the obvious elephant in the room. And, you know, you've probably already done all the soul searching on it. But just remember, at the moment, we are in very, very strange times. So it's just really important to just stop and think about this really thoroughly. So, I mean, I know it's so boring, but almost just form like a bit of a, a checklist in your mind of things like daily exercise. You know, what's going to happen if your work patterns change again? Uh, what sort of breeds might work for you, depending on maybe if you're in a flat or if you've, if you're in a house with a garden, the financial constraints, you know, of, of owning a puppy, these things, you, you do need to just think with your head a little bit and make sure that this is definitely, definitely the right time for you. And that it's not just something that we are kind of thinking about and as an, as an impulse buy almost. The next thing is to really, really do your research. And I know that that gets banded around this, this kind of sentence, do your research. And people sort of sometimes think, well, what does that even mean? Well, what that means is things like if you see an advert online and there's a, a breeder license number on the advert, then A, that's good. But B, then actually follow that up and check the license number to make sure it's legit. You know, f- look at the local authority, check with the council, check their social media pages, you know, look for reviews, look for people that have bought puppies from them in the past and, and follow that up, DM them directly and actually say, we're thinking of using this breeder. They've got a litter coming up. Can you tell me any more about them? And, you know, more often than not, actually, a lot of breeders will actually then want you to do that because they'll be wanting to find out as much about you as as you are trying to find out about them. And so it's a two way thing. You know, they'll be able to put you in touch with people that have had puppies from them before. Whereas if, you know, if you sort of start asking these questions and probing a little bit further in, in terms of what the advert's showing or the or the puppy behind the picture, the cute video that you've just been sent and you want to see the litter mates or you want to see the puppy running around with mother and, and they can't show you that or they come up with excuses as to why they can't send you those pictures, then that's when alarm bells should start ringing. And the problem is they'll get you in on an emotional tie. So they'll, they will want you to want the puppy so much that then it's almost you feel obliged to follow it through. Whereas actually the best thing to do is to stop there and think this doesn't feel right and I'm going to move on. And that leads us quite nicely into the third point, which is that you want to see as much proof as possible of everything around that breeder. So we've, we've said it already. You want to see photographs. You want to see videos. You want to see mum with the pups. You want to see, ideally, you want to see the pups suckling from mum. 
Because one thing that we know the rogue breeders will do is mock up the situation that they think you want to see. So, for example, they will set up an, an adult female dog and put the puppies around her and take a quick photograph, you know, and it's very difficult to to know if that's legit or not. So asking for a video is, is a really good idea. And then look at how mum is interacting with the puppies. Then you want to check all the paperwork. So licensing paperwork, kennel club registrations, uh, microchip registrations. Make sure that these are all legit and that they marry up to what they say they are. Vet records, for example, you know, most Good breeders will want to have a vet check of the puppies before they sell them on because it's a good responsible thing to do. And then they have a vet record to say the puppies have been checked over. You know, check that out. And the most important, the biggest, biggest rule of everything around buying a puppy from a breeder is, as we've said already, you need to see the puppies with the mother. And that ideally needs to be a physical, you visiting the property and seeing mum with the puppies. Even if that's in a garden, you know, I know we're under restrictions at the moment with COVID, but there is no reason at the moment why you can't visit somebody's house, stay socially distanced, and they either bring the puppies to you on the front door with the mum and just let you see them from a distance. But it's so, so important that you do physically see the mother and the puppies. Now, the last point is the hardest point. And this is basically, it's especially difficult when you've got to a certain point in looking for a puppy as well. But if the alarm bells do start ringing, the best thing you can do for those puppies is to walk away. Because if you put money in the hands of those rogue breeders, you are just perpetuating the problem. And so instead of doing that, the best thing you can do is come away from the situation and report the breeder to Action Fraud Online, to Trading Standards, RSPCA, to the Dogs Trust, report it to the police if necessary. And then once you've reported it, make those those governing bodies aware that if the dogs do come into custody and they get taken off, the person that you would be willing to give them a forever home. And that honestly is the best thing that you can do in these situations. Okay, so those are my top tips if you're thinking of buying a puppy. Now we're going to talk about adoption. (laughs) Now you can't blame me as a vet for slightly pushing this because we are, rescue centres are overflowing at the moment. And one of the big worries that we have behind the scenes in the industry is this idea that so many people have unfortunately gone out and bought a puppy, you know, in lockdown on impulse. And there is real concern amongst rescue centers that in about five to six months time, as these cute puppies turn into crazy adolescent nine month old, you know, bouncing dogs, that people are going to just give up on them. And there is a definite need for us to get more of our rescue pets into forever homes so if if that might be something for you to consider then i know so many really really heartwarming success stories of dogs that have come through adoption centers these are not problem dogs a lot of them are there for absolutely no fault of their own um, and they make really really wonderful pets and the reason that it's so great to go through a rescue center is that those dogs and those well cats as well you know all, all pets They'll get a almost like a personality profile. So the rescue center will be able to almost like match you up with with a pet that might work for your lifestyle, uh, for your kind of requirements, whether you have a family, all those sorts of things. So all I'm saying is just just try not to dismiss it before you've given it some serious thought. Because for all we know, your perfect little companion, your perfect little doggy might be sitting out there somewhere in a kennel, desperately hoping that you will walk through the door one day and, and take them home and offer them their, their forever home. So just, just give it some thought. Okay, so that is if you're thinking of getting a dog, if you're bringing a puppy into your life or a dog into your life. 
But what about if you already have a dog? And going back to what we were talking about earlier, this this awful uh, rise in pet theft or dog napping, as they call it. Well, it's really important to obviously be aware of it, but there are things you can actively do to to try and prevent um, your dog from ever being stolen. I can't even believe we're having to talk about this because it's so heartbreaking to even think that somebody would take your dog. But with these, with this increase in demand for dogs, this is something that we are now having to to sort of deal with. So a few things that I would say, one is your microchip details is so important. Obviously now it's a legal requirement for all dogs to have a microchip, um, but it's so important as well to keep the microchip details up to date. So things like phone numbers, your address, you know, it's easy for that to get pushed to the back of your mind um, and check that the microchip is still working. Every time you go to the vets, just ask them to scan the chip and make sure that it's still functional. Now, a common misconception is that a microchip is about reuniting. It's not. A microchip is simply a register of dogs on a national database. So it's really, really important. If your dog does go missing, the first thing you must do is contact the microchip company and actually register them as a missing pet. And that way there is more obligation if your dog does turn up for people to actually contact the microchip company and hopefully it will increase the chances of you um, being reunited. Absolutely, 100%, never leave your dogs tied up outside a shop. Uh, think about ways you could make your garden more secure or more private. I would certainly change your walking patterns frequently so that people can't start to get a, an idea of when you're at home, where you're walking, when you let your dogs off their lead, that sort of stuff. If your dog has been taken, then report it to the police, but report it as a theft and request a a crime number uh, rather than just a missing pet. And also inform your local dog warden. Word of mouth really works, you know, posters locally on on lampposts, in pet shops, in vets uh, and social media, obviously, is an incredibly powerful tool of reaching a much wider audience very, very quickly. And lastly, everybody out there, what I want you to now do is grab your we've all got camera phones. You've probably got a hundred pictures of your dog already on your phone. But what we all need to do is take a selfie with our pets. This is me giving you absolutely 100% permission to indulge in a pet selfie. Okay, go for it. Do it now, whatever you do, because that's the best way. If your pet ever does get taken and there's a new owner who's trying to challenge you over who owns the dog, if you have got photographic proof of you with your dog in your own home, then immediately it's very hard to argue that that dog belongs to anybody other than you. Okay, that was a whistle-stop tour of the most commonly asked questions so far about uh, about getting a puppy through lockdown. So let's move on to some of the other questions that I've had in, um, because there's been some great ones over the last few weeks. One uh, has come in about an elderly cat. Let's just take a little look at this. Okay, we have an elderly cat, 20 years old. Oh, 20 years old, good good age. And she doesn't seem to be keeping herself as clean as she once did. Her legs and chest area are a bit grubby. Oh dear. Uh, should we wash those areas? Okay, right. Okay, the first thing we need to ask ourselves is why these areas are getting grubby in the first place. Because obviously cats normally are incredibly clean animals. Um, and the first thing that springs to mind with a 20-year-old cat would be arthritis. And they can find it very difficult to reach around and take care of those, um, should we say, should we say the harder to reach areas? <laughs> uh, and, and so sometimes they do need a little bit of extra help from us. 
I think it's worth definitely having a chat with your vet here. You're not going to do any harm by trying to wash those areas, but it might be that actually it's better to just clip the fur away completely uh, with a pair of clippers. We call that a DMAT. Um, and another thing that we would be very careful with here or want you to keep a really close eye on is something called fly strike, uh, which is where, especially in older cats that maybe don't move around quite as much, if those grubby areas start to get quite smelly, then flies can be attracted to that and lay their eggs and they can then turn into maggots and start to eat the flesh of the of the cat, which is just horrible to think about. Um, and I don't see it often, but I have seen it in, in older cats. So be really, really careful. And yes, definitely keep those areas clean. Uh, but the first thing to do is, is definitely head down to the vet and just ask for a bit of help with it. Okay, right. So from an elderly cat to a young dog with diarrhea. Here we go. Hi, we have a two and a half year old Anatolian shepherd. Wow, gosh, they're quite unusual. Uh, he suffers from daily bouts of diarrhea. We switched his diet over to a prepared raw food diet, food he seems to love. However, the issue of his very loose stools persist. What else could we perhaps introduce or withdraw from his diet? Okay, good question. Okay, so the reason as to why young, kind of otherwise outwardly healthy adult dogs might get persistent loose stools is, unfortunately, the, the list really is kind of as long as your arm. So you, you do need to, as I always say anyway, but you probably do need to definitely get to, to your vets on this. Um, the most common causes would either be dietary or parasitic. So I think certainly looking at those two things first, uh, dietary is very difficult to prove an actual dietary allergy so for example to chicken or beef and things like that and swapping food too quickly can also be another trigger factor for diarrhea so I wouldn't necessarily rush to add too much in or take things out too quick too soon um, because you might actually be causing a problem rather than trying to solve the problem there and in terms of parasitic causes maybe a fecal sample would be a good starting point um, because then we can screen and look for some of the types of bacteria or different types of infection that can sit in the gut and cause a, a persistent problem. So I think a chat with your vet or vet nurse about nutrition would be a good starting point. Certainly a fecal sample um, I, would, I would have on my list. And I think thirdly, a definitely a check over with a vet because just to look for other causes as well. Right, on to the next question. My dog is, actually this is quite a tricky one. My dog is really aggressive to some dogs, but not to all. What can I do? Okay, so the reason I say this is a bit tricky is because when it comes to pet behavior, uh, there isn't really a kind of one rule fits all in terms of advice, to be honest. You, what, what you say, what can I do? I think what I would suggest you do to start with is actually contact a pet behaviorist. Now, they might be able to offer you help over, you know, remotely through sort of video conferencing and things, or it might be that they still need to come out physically with you and, and see the behavior as it unfolds. But I think that's the best place to start because you need somebody to actually design you a, a tailor-made uh, sort of behavioral modification program, if, if you like. Uh, and the best place to, the best person to do that would be, a, would be a pet behaviorist. So I would go to the APBC, which is the Association of Pet Behavior Counselors, and they have a, a national database up and down the country of, of qualified registered pet behaviorists that you can trust that will give you really good advice um, and I would try and connect with somebody local to you. Uh, you may need a vet to refer you to them but I think it would be a really really worthwhile thing to do. 
Right. Okay. I think we've got time to squeeze one more question in, and we're going to go. We're going to go back to cats, actually. And this is a really great question uh, about cat vaccinations. So the question is: What are the vital vaccines for a cat that is constantly at home? So obviously an indoor cat, uh, not in contact with any other pets. Right. So when it comes to vaccinations, and we get asked a lot of questions about about dog vaccines, but not so much about cat vaccines, which is why I'm pleased this has come up. So when it comes to vaccinations, obviously still, this is one of the most important steps in terms of preventative healthcare. So generally speaking, it depends, different countries have different cat vaccines available, but generally speaking, there are four that we consider as being the kind of essential cat vaccines. So that would be panleukopenia virus, herpes virus, Kelechi virus, and then something called feline leukemia virus. On top of that, in certain countries, you may also consider rabies um, vaccination as being another crucial vaccine. So when we're talking about cat vaccines, we tend to split them into core vaccines and then non-core vaccines. So your core vaccines would be the ones that I would certainly say as an indoor cat, it's essential that they still have these vaccinations. So that's the panleukopenia, which causes uh, hemorrhagic gastroenteritis, and then the caliche and the herpes virus. Uh, and those those viruses, they can cause... Uh, upper respiratory tract issues, they can cause eye issues, um, they can cause oral alterations. With with the caliche and the herpes virus, it's probably fair to say they're not necessarily 100% effective against every strain of caliche and herpes virus, but they can certainly reduce the severity if those cats do come into contact like with the viruses. Um, now, those those three that we've talked about, panleukopenia, caliche and herpes virus, can be spread without direct contact. So that's why we say your cat doesn't necessarily need to meet other cats in order to pick up those viruses. The one that you could potentially consider as being non-essential for an indoor cat would be feline leukemia virus. Now, this is a virus that can cause cancer in cats and it's only spreads through direct contact so they have to either be sharing a household so sharing water bowl sharing litter trays or a direct scratch or a fight wound so if your cat's absolutely indoors without any contact to any other animals then you could argue it's going to be pretty much impossible for them to pick up feline leukemia virus so as a minimum i would do panleukopenia herpes virus and caliche virus if you can guarantee that they will never be outside and never come into contact with another animal, then you could possibly leave out the leukemia virus. However, if there is a small, even a small risk that they might go outside, um, even if it's just for the occasional potter around the garden, then I would probably suggest you add that in as well. But also, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, I would, I would have a chat with your vet as well because different, there's different risks in different areas. So one rule can't kind of fit all if, if, if I'm honest. Uh, so yeah, have a chat, but that will be, that would be the the general advice would be that we split cat vaccines into core and and non-core vaccines okay well listen it's been great to get back to to the podcast to get behind the microphone i'm sorry again that i've had to uh tell you the sad news about sprout she's she's gone but definitely not forgotten um and again thank you for all of your messages Please remember that the advice given in this podcast is by no means a substitution for seeing your own vet. If you are concerned about your pet, it's still very important to make an appointment uh, at your own veterinary practice. But if you would like to get in touch and you've got a question, then please, please do definitely drop me a message on Instagram at Vet Together Official or drop me an email on... Oh God, I can't remember what the email address is. Hang on. Uh, <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. Vet together official at gmail.com. 
So please do send in your questions. I can't tell you, I love reading your questions when they come in because you just never know what's going to arrive and they're so varied. Uh, so please do keep them coming in as well as any topics that you think would be great for us to discuss. And of course, your pet pics. I love seeing your pets as much as anything else. So please do send everything over. Slide on into the DMs. And my next guest is somebody who absolutely adores cats. So for all the feline fans out there, you don't want to miss it. Give your pets a massive hug from Oliver and myself. Stay tuned and we will catch up again very, very soon.